follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing good, Shad. Yeah? Yeah. You sound it. Yeah, I'm excited about tonight's podcast. Cool. I am too. Like, uh, I actually dove in with some extra episodes on top of what we were going to do. But this. Oh, been, like, look at this extra credit looking dude. But see, this is... <laughs> We'll get into it after we'll get into it after the plugs, but um, this is this is this promotion is like my white whale. It's always been something that's been on my list that I've wanted to de- dive deep into, just because I don't know. There's just um, there's a mystique about the GWF, and I don't know what it is. Had you ever seen it before, like now? I'd seen some of it on ESPN Classics and the odd like youtube clip and stuff because you know that's where like mm. the patriots started and um i think like that that crazy like bungee jumping match that they had like later oh on yeah promotion. holy cow uh, i'll go into it but i was actually well acquainted with gwf so uh this uh this kind of took me back i was not acquainted with gwf so this was kind of a fun delve into the unknown um we'll go ahead and get our our shout outs out of the way first first of all do you need some comfy clothing then you might like there to be some wrestling stuff on it hit up collar and use the promo code four corners podcast that's the number four capital c in corner capital p in podcast save 10 percent off your order you may want to also pick up while you're there the uh, Shad Gaspard uh, Beast of Brooklyn shirt. The proceeds from that shirt go directly to his family. So um, if you go, don't use our promo code on that. Just just send let the pro- proceeds go to his family. Yeah, and based on pictures we've seen of pro wrestling tees, like it might be your only place to get T-shirts for a short while. Oh, that's very true. That's very true. Um, but this is also—it's also been super popular with uh, with lots of wrestlers out there. So lots of them wearing it, lots of them supporting. So let's encourage you to do that. Our other shout out—we're going to toss over to Matt. Matt. Ah, uh, yeah, that'd be to uh, Orlando Cologne. Uh, yeah. Orlando Cologne uh, doing well in Puerto Rico. I don't think they've started running shows, but let me tell you something. When he does start running those shows again, he's not going to take financial backing from a Nigerian businessman <laughs> and then <Yes. laughs> lose it all. <laughs> you may not get that reference now, but you will by the end of the podcast. I, yeah. You know what's the sad thing is? I listened to like I listened to David Bixen's fan and Chris Zellner do like a four-hour podcast on the um, 
that whole situation with like stuff from like all of the, you know, the newsletters and stuff. And it, it really is like the most insane thing. And you know, what's what's really crazy is we don't even know how the relationship ended because Joe Pettacino never really told anyone. <laughs> Just kept it all for himself. Well, so I guess we could start it. So there is this. So the GWF started with this man called Olu Oliami, and I said it right. I've been I've been saying it in my brain all day because. <laughs> so he he approached Pedicino saying he was a representative of a company called Kongi Sports, and they wanted to get into wrestling, and they said that they had like twenty five million dollars that Pedicino could use. And they tried to buy the USWA from Jerry Jarrett, but that fell through because obviously after they agreed to it, there was no money uh, for anyone to buy it. So then Pedicino went out and got secondary backers, which is uh, Max Andrews and someone else. And then he had like a million dollars. So then what you get like with um, the lesser funding is the GWF that we actually got. Mm-hmm. And GWF, by the way, for those who are not in the know, stands for Global Wrestling Federation. Yes. And, uh, we stepped off the universal to head to the global for more realistic expectations. And um, it, it's interesting <clears throat> because so what? it's really kind of crazy what they were doing because ESPN wanted four new shows a week. Mm-hmm. So if you look at their results on like cage match, they were doing like double shots every weekend with like 20 matches per show to try and meet this quota of, of TV. And, um, that I didn't know that, but it does make sense because all the matches were relatively short. Yeah. Like the longest of the matches was probably like maybe 10 minutes. And that was rare. Usually yeah. they were, they were shorter than that, but that, that makes sense. If you're doing like 20 matches, a show you, you got to keep that short yeah and this is this is out of the sportatorium which uh, <clears throat> i think one of the impressive feats of the gwf is they did they managed to make the sportatorium not look like an absolute shithole <laughs> and that's the sportatorium dark which was uh dubbed the global hold on dome. it was dubbed the global <laughs> yeah the global dome they did keep that very dark like you see like the first three or four rows and then nothing else after that. So it could have been a full building or it could have been nothing beyond the, those four rows. But yeah. they done a much better job than uh, of, of, of kind of hiding the attendance for good or bad than UWF did. Yeah. I, I thought which was around the same time frame. Yeah. I thought their lighting was actually the way that they did their lighting was was really smart. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, it could be only the first couple rows or it could be the whole building. The nice thing is that they had a lot of crowd noise going, so even if it was only those first three rows with that much crowd noise, it sounded busy, and that's 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 just perfect. That's chef's kiss, right? Because that's that's all you need for for people watching at home. So then the backstory is: is they're supposed to be like the American chapter of this worldwide promotion that's based in. Oh, they talked about it on one episode. Was it Switzerland? No. They talked about it on the clip show, which we're going to do yeah. next week. Where were they stationed in? I think it was somewhere in Europe. Maybe was it was it Germany? It was Germany or like Portugal or something. So That's... they never 
they never had a world champion like on air, but they had like a fictitious world champion. I think it was like Carl von Steiner or something. And then they had uh, they had fict- fictitious tag team champions called the English Lords that they had to vacate the titles because they had a car accident. And then they did the tournament there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just some weird stuff they did. And, and if you watch like the early episodes, they kind of um, they kind of treat the angles like you're coming in midway. Like they're talking about fan outrage about big bully music and his heart punch even though it's the first show and that was yeah probably yeah that was probably like the first time i ever saw the heart punch used and i was like a so let me kind of give you like a backstory like uh, for me um when i got into wrestling i mentioned before it was like the latter half of 1992 which global was airing at the time and i don't know that i that i saw this on espn although i could have i just remember that for for a time in my area in DC, I want to say this was like Monday through Friday. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if this was like a, lo- a local access channel. If this was like the what now would be like the CW, but kind of before. Remember, like before CW was like UPN and various yeah. different things. Yeah, it may have been that. It may have been ESPN. I don't remember because I was like. I was young. I didn't really know channels per se. I would just like flip the TV until I found something I wanted to watch. But Monday through Friday, every day at like 6 p.m., there was like a wrestling. It was on the same channel, but it was like a diff. But it was a different wrestling show. Like you to get WWE like one one night, and then it was like WCW Power Hour or something another night. And then you'd have like a rotating bunch of ones. Like sometimes they had like USWA. Sometimes they had like uh, they had definitely had Global. Um, occasionally they would have other stuff. I remember they, for a time they had like glow, the original glow. Oh yeah. So I, I was exposed to like some different stuff early on as a, as a wrestling fan, but global was pretty consistent. They had, they had global at least every week, I guess probably because they had so much content for ESPN well, that they, they just they, had a lot. Mm-hmm. They also had a, they had a syndicated <laughs> show on top of, the, the the ESPN show was called Supercard, but then they had a weekly syndicated show called Major League Wrestling on top of the ESPN show. Maybe and I think there might have been a third syndicated show. Yeah, maybe it was one of the syndicated shows. Regardless, I saw Global like every week, and so I'm I was that's why I was excited about this because I'm well acquainted with Global. I watched a lot of it back when I was like very young. So I, when I was, we were watching the episodes for this, uh, this podcast, I got real excited because I'm like, it, it really brought me down the path of nostalgia. So I'm like, oh my God, I remember that. The guys I had forgotten existed, I saw. Um, but I remember Big Bully Busick and I actually was like, I want to say like a fan, but I was kind of fascinated by him. So when he had his brief appearance in the WWF, I was like super excited. <laughs> and then he disappeared like, immediately after that mm-hmm. he just died like this decade didn't he he died only like a couple years ago yeah i was thinking i remember him dying i don't remember how many years ago it was though why didn't it work out with him i mean he kind of came in at, he came in at, like the wrong time like he was he, if he would come into the w if he'd been around in the wwf in like the late 80s he could have got like a four or five year run it's just I like think, a, a mid card he... deal I think he came in like right before they decided they needed to get rid of anyone that looked like they might have ever been in the same room as a steroid. 
Mm. <laughs> yeah, and he was a big dude. Yeah. Well, he he was a big dude, but he was more of a burly dude he could instead move, of though. like I mean, he could move. Yeah, he just seemed like more of a burly dude in, instead of a gassed up one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like like Brad said, if if they even looked like a suspicion of it, then I think he could I, have used the manager from what I've watched of Global so far. Uh, it probably would not have hurt. Um, I. I I, we'll get to him. I, I had some thoughts about him, but we'll we'll get to it. Um, uh, so uh, this is kind of like tying it to the modern day era. Um, I, I just kind of liked Big Bully Busick's look because he had that like old timey bully <laughs> appearance. Yeah, yeah. And when he debuted in AEW, I thought like the Butcher from the Butcher and the Blade. He kind of has like the same similar type of look. Oh just, like, a, yeah. like a big muscular like Haas type of guy. Um, with the with the funny mustache. Um, you know, you know the, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. He reminds me of um, the big dog in the Looney Tunes cartoons that has the little dog. Oh yeah, him around, chomping on like a cigar too. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. By the way, the do you guys know that the butcher is in like uh, a pretty notable metalcore band? No, I did not. Yeah, and has been since like. I think almost their inception. I think the beginning of the band. Every time I die. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to look that up. It's kind of fascinating because it's like if you had a, a successful career as just like this rock musician, and then your your secret passion is like you're a you're a wrestling fan, and you want to be into wrestling. Um, that's interesting. I guess. I mean, I guess I guess you could say the same about someone like David Arquette, who has had and actually, obviously, he's not like winning Oscars or making. 20 million dollars a picture but david arquette has had like a successful hollywood entertainment career and he decided he just like loves wrestling so he fucks around doing wrestling yeah and and like you said props to him because dude takes it very seriously Mm -hmm. yeah so i i one thing i liked about what we watched is whoever did these left the commercials in because i love getting no you don't understand like because because I'll end up skipping them after a couple episodes, but like the um, the commercials are like an insight into the cultural zeitgeist at the time. Yeah, one of the um, I think the the first one I watched had a trailer for the series premiere of Home Improvement on it. Yeah, which... I saw that on one, and I also saw there was a Jean Claude Van Damme movie, Double Impact. <laughs> And I actually remember that movie. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I just just for kicks, I have to admit, Jean Claude Van Damme movies, movie titles crack me the hell up because it they sound like they are made with the most generic titles possible, and that always amuses me. Is um, a weird side <laughs> note because I have seen a bunch of his movies. Is Kickboxer his best of his like? Uh, Bloodsport probably. Yeah, Bloodsport is probably the best one. Kickboxer is is maybe like number two. Okay. Well, I I personally I feel like Bloodsport is probably the best, but I think if you're talking about like the more big budget ones, I would say Universal Soldier was pretty entertaining. 
Oh yeah, that was but a good that's one. fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, Heart, Expend- Expendables two was a very quality movie too. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, I've got it. I was gonna watch it with a friend of mine, and he was like, "Yeah, man, we'll get together. We'll watch Expendables two And because uh, I had told him that I really enjoyed Expendables one, he's like, "Cool, we'll get together and watch it." And I, I was like, "All right, just let me know when we're gonna watch it." And then I didn't hear anything for like months. And finally, I was like, so when are we going to watch Expendables 2? And he's like, um, I kind of already watched it. And I was like, dude. <laughs> so there's, there's, I want to watch it, but there's this disappointment that's it's, tied to it. It's a, it's a better movie than one. I'll, I'll say that. I enjoyed one pretty well. I've only seen the first one. I haven't seen two or three. I haven't seen three. If you want to, um, since we're like now on a, on a tangent for, for Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, <laughs> he has a lot, by the way, because he, he, he pulled does. like the trick that when his, like his, his, basically his primary stardom fell off, he just started doing a bunch of, I guess, B-movies, what would be considered B-movies or straight to DVD. Um, but before that, back in the day, like late 80s, this was like right after he became popular with Bloodsport, but before mm-hmm. around the time of Kickboxer. Did you guys ever see Cyborg? I've heard of it. No. Cyborg was like this dystopian um, future science fiction movie, which is just him kind of in like this post-apocalyptic wasteland trying to help this like cyborg woman. Uh, and he fights like this evil band of... No, I don't want to say mutants, but they're kind of just like post-apocalyptic punks it's a it's a weird film it's it's kind of violent but it's not like outrageously violent it's unique in that it if you ever watch it it would blow your mind to think like this how, why would they go in this direction but this was supposed to actually be an apocryphal lore this is supposed to actually be the sequel to he-man the masters of the universe <laughs> what yeah like the general plot was supposed to be the sequel to that that's hilarious i i have not words yeah. wow it was uh also one of the i don't know if it's the final but it was it was one of, it was a canon film and they they always made like those really low budget like trashy films yeah which uh Again, another tangent. If you guys have ever seen not if you've not seen Masters of the Universe, the live action one with Dolph Lundgren, you owe it to yourself <laughs> to watch it. Oh man. Have you seen it? Yes, I've seen it. Chad. Yeah. And I then the it film. gets I worse. Un- I unironically love the film because um Frank Langella is <laughs> is so good in the film as Skeletor. He choose every piece of scenery you, he, you would think he's in the landscaping he's just chewing everything <laughs> possible but he he's and he's so like earnest about it and it's so fun and i think he even said at like in, in interviews afterwards he even said like that's one of his favorite roles because he just really was able to ham it up um here's you say that and i have to groan a little bit and i'll admit why is because i didn't just see the first one I saw the second one where they went to L.A. He-Man goes to L.A. where it's like, oh, it was the 80s thing where it's like, oh, we're going to take whatever this is from wherever the high-cost sets are. We're going to throw them through a portal, 
so that we can just shoot it downtown LA in the middle of the night and not have to pay for sets. I'll um I'll one up you on something worse I've seen. I've watched I've watched the Arnold dub of the Hercules from New York, not the one where they thought he his acting was too terrible and dubbed a different voiceover, but with Arnold barely being able to speak English, um, doing the lines. <sighs> okay. Alright, if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, how about your Hunter from the Future? I've never heard of that. How bad is that? I've oh my God. heard of this. Okay. It's so... Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to hunt up a link to send it to you. But there is a scene where in order to say... This is only like halfway through the movie. But in order to save this princess, your spears a pterodactyl out of the air. And then it immediately goes stiff with rigor mortis. So he uses it to hang glide his way into the cave and drop kick the bad guy in the face while his theme music, which the lyrics are yours world. He's the man yours world. He's the man blares through your speakers. Are you sure you didn't like get into some bad mushrooms and just imagine this? Dude, trust me. This is I'll send you a link. Now, okay. it, this was this was obviously on MST3K, but I, I, I honestly think Manos, The Hands of Fate is the worst movie ever created. You know, it's, I've kind of avoided watching Manos because of the reputation. Um, I, I actually don't know that I would agree with that just because it's so bad that I feel it, it goes the other way to like endearing in a way. That but I've true. seen some I've seen some bad films. Oh yeah, me too. Like have you have this is actually more of a modern film. Have has anyone here seen The Spirit? No. I, hated that movie. I love the character and I would I hated that movie. The Spirit is a comic book film that was made probably like ten years or so ago. Um it, it stars Samuel L. Jackson as the villain. It had it had at least one other, like, notable star in it. I think it was like the, I mean, it was Eva Mendez. I think was in it. Um, it it was directed by Frank Miller, and yes, I mean that Frank Miller. Yeah. And it is just one of the worst. It it's it might be the worst film I've seen. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen because, and I was fascinated with it for a while because it is so bad. It's like how did. There, you know that for a movie to even come out and make it into theaters, which it did, it has to go through like multiple levels of like quality control, <laughs> at least yeah. some sort of quality control yeah. and decision making. And I'm like, how how did did so many people screw this up? Because they were trying to cash in on that. Um, they made it look very Sin City, and they were trying to yeah. cash in on that. Now I will oh, say, yeah. I thought. Um, Seth Rogen's take on the Green Hornet was worse than the Spirit because the Seth Rogen Green Hornet just straight up pissed me off. I didn't see that because I don't like Seth Rogen films. I don't either. I don't like the Judd Apatow films either. No, because it's like um, it's trying to, especially Seth Rogen stuff. It's like, oh yeah, I'm trying to do those old edgy comedy movies, but I'm doing it like. But the, without any of the humor or or getting why those movies were actually funny, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just there's nothing about him that I find humorous. 
Seth Rogen doesn't bother me, but yeah. All right. So we were going to talk about GWF, yes. right? So we we picked. <laughs> I'm so sorry, we, that was <laughs> entirely. No, but I mean, this is what happens when you see old commercials. So, um, for the next two weeks, we're focusing on the GWF. We picked two random episodes. Uh, the second episode, we actually stumbled into a clip show, which I didn't mean to do. But the first one we're doing, what I had in the the, the info was um, the August 1st, 1991 airing, which features the finals of the GWF Light Heavyweight Tournament. Uh, we obviously picked this one because the final with Lightning Kid and Jerry Lynn is kind of famous at the time. So, uh, go ahead, go, Chad. Go, no, no, go ahead. I was going to say, so we are greeted by Scott Hudson and Craig Johnson, and it's going to get compared. I'm going to be comparing this a lot to the UWF just because we got exposed to that. Instantaneously, just from the announcing alone, this is a million times better than the <laughs> UWF. Mm-hmm. Ain't that the God's honest truth? Holy crap. Man, that... it. it for as hard as the announcing was to listen to for the UWF, these guys, especially Hudson, did a good, did a really good job. And like with Craig Johnson, you can tell he's not a wrestling announcer, but you can tell he did his homework. Like you can tell he's been watching stuff and like learning move names. And um, he's a little too peppy at times for me, but he does an overall good job. Mm-hmm. I think he's like a basketball guy if i have to remember that's that's probably a pretty good uh pretty good thing to go with because you, you get a lot of consistent fast-paced action in basketball and yeah. craig johnson's not his real name he 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 was going under a pseudonym here he kayfabed for this okay yeah and this is very young scott hudson who's still bald <laughs> he is he really is but that's so we, okay. He still does a good job. So what I liked here is they kind of they took us through like the entire tournament for like the first I don't know ten or fifteen minutes of this show. I thought it was the first half of it. It was about the first half. There was some other stuff mixed in. Okay. And so uh, there were a lot of familiar names in here. Buff Bagwell is the handsome stranger. Yeah. I, uh, you know, whenever I started watching it, I actually messaged you guys to make sure that I was, I was right that that was Bagwell. Um, I swear, I keep coming across weird stories about Buff Bagwell. And... It, it yeah well, it probably doesn't surprise anybody but like the the most recent one I should say is um, a few years ago um, he came and worked a show at one of the uh, in one of the um, well, I guess this would be about six seven years ago he came and worked a show at one of the the companies in Kentucky. And I'll give you three guesses what Buff did not do the entire match, and the first two don't count. What do you think Buff did not do? Bump? 
He did not bump once. Hmm. None at all. To the surprise of precisely nobody. <laughs> I mean, does it, does it feel he's, he's too big for that? He doesn't have to. Uh, you know what? I don't. I, I wasn't there for it, so I <clears> don't know. But if, like, on one hand, like, okay, so these days, Raven, when Raven works shows, he bumps as little as possible. He doesn't work heel anymore because if he was working heel, he'd have to bump. And he's just like, I, my body can't really do that anymore. So he works face and he, he teams with whatever baby face they're trying to get over. And then he even has that baby face do his finish. That's like that's what Raven does now. It's like you bring him in. He's going to put over your guys and he's going to like have your guys do his finish to get over and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, okay, you know what? That's quality. But then, you know, we've got Bagwell come in and Bagwell's just, he, he wouldn't bump for nothing. I, so, I almost wouldn't blame Raven just because, I mean, he's been around like 30 years, so he's yeah. probably got some wear and tear. Yeah. Um, and he's like in his middle, he's like in the mid mid fifties, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you can bump, like he, you you don't you gotta save that. You're not gonna go too hard at like a house show. No, no, that's smart. Like I said, that's smart of him to do, and he puts people mm. over. But you know, Bagwell's a lot younger than he is, and it's like you you they you know they paid a lot of money to bring him in for this. And I mean, I wouldn't. He's. Not, I mean, I, how many people are gonna be going to a show just because ba- they remember Buff Bagwell? Not. He's probably a lot. <laughs> But there's he's some... getting older. Maybe that uh, maybe that escort money is running out. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard that. I wasn't sure whether to laugh or feel bad for him. And then the other thing that that struck me about it was because the the thing I had heard prior to that is that he was making a living. Like he had to, he apparently like made really bad money decisions, so he had to <laughs> really, sell his house. Incredibly shocking. I know, right? He had to sell the house he had that he bought with his WCW money, and then um, he had to. He was living in an apartment and competing in video game tournaments to make money. Good lord! I know, right? And I was kind of like, what? I listened to a, a podcast a while back uh, that that he did. I think probably I, I think it actually was with Stone Cold. Okay. And it, it wasn't a long podcast. It was only maybe like an hour. But he just he he. I think he really the long and short of, of Buff Bagwell is that he really is just like this redneck good old boy from Georgia. Okay. And I think that's really just that's the the highest aspiration. For his, he just is not a terribly bright <laughs> guy from from the south. No offense to people from the south. No, no, including people, you, Shad. My family is from the south. My family is actually from Georgia, but he doesn't strike me as a, be perfectly intelligent. Oh no, it's just There's that some um, from the south, he's he, just not one of he, them. He, <laughs> <laughs> the story he was telling on, he told some story on Stone Cold. It was basically like, yeah. So I was like. I think he was basically saying, like, yeah, I was, like, cheating on my wife, but uh, this is, like, right 
after he like joined his WCW. I think it was something like that. Maybe I'm impunging yeah. his honor, which I apologize if, if I am. But he was uh, he doesn't strike me as terribly like bright guy. Okay. So him making poor money decisions, I can uh, I can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was a Buff Bagwell fan back in the day. Oh really? Wait, he was wait. Solid what, until... what, is, what is back in the day? What what time period would you say it ended? Uh, he was, I was a fan like of the 90s WCW. I thought he was perfectly inoffensive for what they were using him for as like uh, basically as a tag guy and then occasionally as like a mid-card face. Okay. I actually thought before he got injured, he he was pretty good as Buff Bagwell with the NWO because he was just like this just asshole heel that you wanted to see his face punched. Yeah. I loved his tag team with Scott Norton. I thought that was vicious and delicious. Yeah, yeah I thought it was, that was, un- good. It was kind of underrated. And like a, the, everything was so saturated by at that point. There oh, had yeah. so many people on the roster. <clears throat> but honestly, like if they, if the rest, if the roster wasn't so bloated, like they should have had like a, a pretty good like tag title run. Yeah. Well, it, it was really it was a really good tag team because you had. You had Bagwell who ran his mouth incessantly, but Norton was there to back it up. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a really good dynamic. But then, you know, in real life, the story is that apparently Bagwell is insufferable, but Scott Norton is just like one of the nicest guys in the world. Yeah, I I think I got to make it like a point whenever whenever we can actually go back to having conventions and things like that. Yeah, uh, if he's at one of these like wrestling conventions or something, yeah, I'm gonna make it a point to like get his autograph, shake his hand because <laughs> I actually was a fan of Scott Norton. He and I've only seen like some of his Japan stuff, but I've heard like a lot of his Japan stuff is pretty good. I mean, he was a really good like monster guy gene heel over there. Yeah, so. that's that's one thing that has occurred to me. Um, recently you know we've been doing this for a while and it's it's been occurred to me it's like you know i probably ought to go hunt up some uh go hunt up some uh scott norton stuff and um and and you know see about it because the dude had an aura that was just you know he he had he the guy carried himself in such a way that it's really hard to replicate it's you look at him and you're like this guy this guy looks like he would rip me in half without missing a beat. And it's, there's so many guys that try and pull off the tough guy act that can't do it. Norton just looked like he was effortless at it. And I, I I really want to, I really want to go find some of that stuff. If, if Norton pops up at a convention I'm at, then I'll absolutely go get a, uh, I'll go get an autograph with him. And I look forward to it. If, so, you know, whenever that happens. So with these tournaments, I <clears> didn't really like... Again. Yeah. Oh, well, it's okay. With these tournaments, <laughs> I really don't like what they... How they formatted them, because they did, like, three brackets, and then they did this coin flip thing for... Um, to, so what they do is they would they would all flip a coin and then the odd man out would get a buy to the final. I had to watch them three times to figure out what they were actually doing. Yeah. Um, and then the other two would wrestle and then they would have like the final, which I did not like that format. That seemed like they were way overthinking it. And um, yeah. 
I did not like it. It's a little more, it's more complicated than it needs to be, but I don't hate it. Um, Cause there's a lot you can do with that. The, um, the fact that you could do uh, how, you know, how easy it is to do, you know, let's, we're going to get this, this upstart baby face over by having him go out there and, you know, give it his all in this match. And then all of a sudden they turn around and it's like, I've got this whole other guy to do. And so, you know, just barely, barely holding it together, trying to make it through the match. And if you want to, uh, if, you know, if you, if you're trying to put someone over like a monster, then they just destroy him. If you want a cocky heel to really get some heat, you have the heel just screw with him. Like there's a lot of options with it, but I, I can about guarantee that in the course of doing it, they're they're losing people because of how complicated that is. Like yeah. everybody doing a coin flip, um, definitely overcomplicates things. Well, then they like in in this one. I'm going ahead slightly because we'll go back to the newsroom segment. But then they they messed the coin flip up, which um, yeah. Sean Waltman kind of had to save a little bit because he accused the other guys <laughs> of cheating. Yeah. So then we. Before we so we go through this whole recap, some of the names I noticed I saw Rip Rogers in there, I saw Adrian Street, mm-hmm. Buff yep. Bagwell. There was someone else really notable, and I can't think of who they were. Oh, uh, Terry Garvin, aka Terry Sims. Those were some of the names I, I saw. There were quite a few others, but uh, that's all I saw. So then. We, we do all that. We go to commercials. We come back, and it's the newsroom with Joe Pettisino. Um, he talks about an LPWA pay-per-view that's coming up that I think totally bombed. Uh, it's good. They're going to do some mixed tags with um, GWF talent. Then he announces that the GWF tag title tournament is coming up, and he talks about the Wet and Wild tag team, which this is a funny side story <laughs> because this is – so. Going back to our UWF pay-per-view, this is Steve Ray and Sonny Beach coming in, and Herb Abrams actually sues them over the over the phrasing wet and wild for the tag team because he supposedly copyrighted this. So then they have Jeez. to go through this tournament and scrub any mention of the wet and wild team. And he also announces the Renegade Warriors, which are Mark and Chris Youngblood, are going to be in it. And now here is the thing that I thought was really interesting. He talks about the wedding of Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth at SummerSlam. That kind of blew me away. Yeah. Because yeah, I did me think... too. Go ahead. I was just like, holy crap, he's talking. I mean, because they were talking about titles people had held in other promotions. But he was straight up like just like previewing another promotion's pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess you can look at it like they were they obviously weren't really competing with the wwf at the time so they could do that but it was almost that whole segment was interesting to me because it was almost just like like if you would back in the day the people like nowadays like they don't know but back in the day it was like you call in you would literally call in like a hotline <laughs> they had a hotline 909-9900 you could call in like wrestling hotlines and get information um and i never paid for anyone there was there was like one or two that was like free and I would occasionally I think Meltzer like had a hotline back in the day. Probably. I think Keller did. But the, but funny you mentioned that because the second episode, there's actually 
that we did, there's actually an advertisement for the GWF hotline. <laughs> I just remember, even as late as, like, 99 and 2000, I remember, like, on Worldwide, me and Gene doing those, like, teases backstage, like, a former, like, WWF champion's coming to WCW, like, call the hotline to... Yeah. Find out who. Yep. One nine hundred one eight one nine hundred nine oh nine ninety nine hundred. Kids get your parents' permission before calling. Yeah. So that was yeah. That the hotlines always kind of cracked me up because I don't know how much they actually ever gave away, like in terms of information on them. I think they did. I, I I'd have to. I'd have to listen to some old podcasts, but I think that I think I, I think like some people have talked about calling them. Mm. So then after that, we go to Bonnie Blackstone. So they would do these fan questions, but they were the fan questions were weird because they were obviously um, plants. Yeah. So this this kid asked about uh, pretty much Maka Singh was. Mockin Singh was Norman the Lunatic in WCW. Mm-hmm. And they like brought him over here and he like on his first appearance he like tears up the, the teddy bear and like renounces the whole Norman thing mm-hmm. and then goes with the, the Muckin Singh identity. So this is wrestler Mike Shaw, who um he wasn't Canadian, but he probably well, he there's one gimmick that he was most famous for, but before he even came to WCW. He was famous in, um, I want to say it was, I, I wanted, I think it was actually, was it Stampede? Probably. I think it was Stampede. I th- yeah. yeah. I think it was Stampede. And he, he had a really long run there, um, as Makin Singh. And he was part of a stable called Karachi Vice with, um, Gama Singh, who was like a long time Canadian, uh, star, for Stampede and I think for some of the other Canadian promotions. So he was a veteran and he had like a, what I've heard, I've not seen these cause I'm not really that knowledgeable about Stampede. I haven't really seen a lot of their stuff, but I heard he had some really, really great matches with guys like Bret Hart, Davey Boy Smith, um, which, you know, not that hard to do. These guys, are <laughs> but, um, I actually felt Mike Shaw was a, from what I, some of the stuff I have seen of him when he wasn't doing dumb Norman the Lunatic type gimmick mat stuff like that where he's just playing a dumb gimmick. Yeah. Uh, he was actually a pretty decent worker. Like he was pretty decent here in Global. Uh, but for those who who are not remotely aware of Mike Shaw, aka Makin Singh, he was most famous for his uh, one or two year stint in the WWF as the man Bastion Booger. Bastion also, <laughs> Booger. Yeah. Also, Friar Ferguson pre. Um... Yeah, he had a brief. He had a brief extent as Friar Ferguson. And he did like two raw appearances, I think. Mm-hmm. He had a bunch of, uh, not just Norman the Lunatic, but a bunch of WCW gimmicks, if I remember correctly. Because he had, um, now, if I'm misattributing this, I'll apologize, but he wasn't just Norman the Lunatic. He was, wasn't he also like Big Josh? No, Big and... Josh is Matt Bourne. Oh, okay. Yes. All right, you know what? Then I'm going to look this up before I make more of a fool out of myself. <laughs> yeah, Josh is actually not that big. He was just Matt Bourne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So now the weird thing is I, I couldn't actually find his answer to like usually what they do is they do the question and they come back a little later and answer it or reply to it. And I actually could not find a promo from him because I went to like I went to like make an outline this evening and I could not find it on the show. So they might have forgot to put that in. Oh, I just found it, by the way. This might this might salvage me a little bit. Bastion Booger, Fire Ferguson, Norman Lunatic, Trucker Norm, and Klondike Mike as well. So, he did have an array of gimmicks. I was just misattributing one of them. Sorry about that. Oh, you're fine. So then we get to our first final after the coin flip. And this is um, Lightning Kid goes over Steve Simpson to get into the final. Now, if you haven't heard Steve <clears throat> Sims' name before, he was actually in World Class a bit towards the end, like in that 86 to 89 time frame. I don't remember him at all. I don't even yeah. feel like I remember him from Global. He was there. He was, he's the, he's the inaugural tag team champion with Chris Walker. Mm-hmm. That's no relation to hard work Bobby Walker either. No. No. <laughs> Didn't hard work go to prison? You know, I'm not sure. No, you're um, you're th- you're thinking of Hard Body Harrison, which that is such a pull from the the annals of my memory. <laughs> hard Body Harrison was uh, he was basically just like a jobber in WCW, uh, but much like a lot of the WCW, especially like the the '90s. WC, late 90s WCW jobbers he actually had like a unique look and uh-huh. so he he was noticeable right uh, and much like a lot of those workers like you kind of they kind of like I don't want to say that they got over but they were kind of like it was fun seeing them come out like Hard right. Buddy Harrison the gambler one of my yeah. my all time favorite the gambler <laughs> you have because like uh, he knew so, when to hold them and knew when to fold them right yes uh, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker yeah. Um, who else? Roadblock. We've talked about Roadblock. Yeah, Roadblock. That's <laughs> that was gonna before. bring him up actually. Cause... Uh, yeah. Uh, you would also have like Fidel Sierra. Sometimes he would put the mask on as Cuban assassin. Yeah. Uh, you would have like a lot of them, and he was one of them. Uh, but then in the two thousands, mm-hmm. he actually got arrested in. It was down south. I don't really know. Where I want to say Florida, but I don't think it was Florida. Uh, and he got charged with like sex trafficking. He was keeping like sex slaves, and I think he. Oh. But it was like so bad that he was actually convicted, and I believe got like life in prison. So wow. he was not just like. He wasn't just like a, a pimp. He was a bad dude. So. Yeah, he he was the villain from the first season of True Detective. Basically, well, maybe without like the child murder. Well, maybe. Uh, we have gone on so many tangents in this. We hour. have, and just for kicks, this is this. You hopefully you get a laugh out of this. Just for kicks, I went to the pro wrestling wiki mm-hmm. uh, to look up Bobby Walker to see what ended up happening to him. Here's the entirety of the entry for hard work Bobby Walker. Bobby Walker is an American professional wrestler. That's it. That's all <laughs> I have in there on it. <laughs> oh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't hard work. My head. 
It wasn't hard work Bobby Walker. It was another guy on the roster that had like a similar name. Oh, I just talked about Hard Body Harrison. Yeah, we were yeah Hard Body Harrison. Okay, yeah, Sorry, we were just I, talking I just about him and his uh, him and his his inspiration for for villainy of later on of an HBO series, but um, <clears throat> he actually was part of a lawsuit against WCW for claiming racism. Yeah, yeah there was a lot of guys was. in that one. A racial discrimination suit, which may I'm not going to comment on whether it was uh, legitimate or not. But I know I just remember that Sonny Ono was part of that, yeah. and I don't trust that Sonny Ono is on the up and up. You guys, we did we talk about the story? I think maybe we did. Where obviously, like it never happened because of COVID nineteen. Uh-huh. But J- Joey Janela was trying to get Great Muda to be at this year's Spring Break, and had worked out a deal, but it basically got screwed up because Sonny Ono either is Great Muda's like American contact person or was presenting himself to be and basically Sonny Ono was trying to like take all the money. Yeah, I remember so, that. So the deal got like screwed up. God. Wow, okay. I I never forget it's a carny business, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, back to GWF. So, what I thought was interesting about this match was it was a very mat-based match. I'm with you so far. Um, it was a lot of Steve Simpson, who obviously working a more, I would say, European style. Uh-huh. Spending a lot of time keeping... Um, Lightning Kid on the ground. Lightning Kid, obviously, if you don't know who we're talking about, is Sean Waltman. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. AKA uh, Xbox, AKA yeah. Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When when I was watching this, um, I sent a message to the guys. I was like, wow, Six or Xbox looks like, you know, he's in middle school in this. And they actually slam him for that later. They're like, how am I supposed to, you know, you know, what, what are you, a, a freshman in high school or something? Um, but you can tell why. I mean, it's it's easy to see just from this that Waltman was going to be a star because the dude, dude had it. You know, He's only nineteen years old here, right? Oh, and he had this super douchey like haircut, like the the number or the he had the lightning bolts like buzzed into the side of his hair. I don't know if you guys remembered this but when when i was in uh oh gosh uh, i don't remember if it was elementary or middle school at that point but in in playing baseball that was something that a lot of guys did is they would get whatever their number was buzzed into the side of their hair and i was always in yeah that was a big thing and they were like why didn't you do it and i'm like i don't like my hair that short but you know, I mean, he he just steered right in to the the douche factor for for this. It was his his GWF um, gimmick is kind of he's like a little Cobra Kai <laughs> douchebag. So I have a question for you, Shad. As someone that actually wrestled for quite a while and probably worked very hard at it to be good at it, 
What's it? How upset do you get when you see someone like Sean Waltman that just like look like they tripped into being good? You know what? I have to I have to kind of admire it. On one hand, I'd I'd want to be annoyed. It's like, oh god, they're just that. But then on the other hand, I've got to admire just how how good some people are straight out of the gate because some folks are just so damn good as soon as they hit the ring and then other folks yeah you you could give them you could give them matches and paper and they wouldn't be able to make fire oh okay i tell you what here I i never make these references you could give them milk and cereal and they'd start a fire with it like that's okay. See, I'm I'm I hit my quota. One Simpsons joke every six months. Um, but you know I can't be too mad at him. Like I'll, I'll grumble about it. Yeah, you know, lucky little son of a you know. But I I I, I find myself really more impressed. I think, and it's. Wait. What I was really impressed by, especially for how young he was, is one, his promos were good. Yeah. Not, like, Mm -hmm. amazing, but they were good. But what I loved about him was his selling, like, when, like, Steve or Lynn would put him in, like, a a hold, he would, like, exaggerate sell. Like, if they put him in an arm lock, he'd be like, oh, my God, like, I'm dying. Like, I'm literally dying. Can't you see I'm dying? Yeah. Well, and it made him obnoxious. Yeah. And uh, that's that's something that that some guys miss out on being heels is they're trying to they're, they're they know they're supposed to be the heel and they know they're supposed to sell but they're not any good at being obnoxious about enough stuff. It's like come on you know be a be a little bitch about it. Complain no he's not supposed to do that that's not right he can't do that to me what, are, what who does he think he is. Trying to do that to me. I'm the only one that can, you know, do that sort of stuff. Make people hate your guts. Don't be a cool heel. Hate cool heels. It really upsets me that WWE couldn't have done this in the 90s with him. Like, kept this gimmick going because it's really a good gimmick. Well, they they turned him into a face, didn't they? Was that what he started with? Is and you know what? I'm he okay was like a job. He was like a job guy that finally got a win on Razor Ramon on TV. Yeah. And that's how he got his like. That's a pretty good start, really. And I'm okay yeah. with that. I mean, he's you're, obviously he's good at being a heel, but the the that was I thought that was a good way of getting him over. I'm I'm good with that. So Lightning Kid gets the win here. Moves on to the final. Um, between that, uh, what did you guys think? This I thought this was a solid television match, like not great or anything, but um, I, I, I thought it was good. I mean, the the thing that stands out to me in watching this is there is nothing on this show that I look at and I'm like, oh, like there's one thing. I should. I, I need to amend. There's one thing watching this whole show. I look at, and I'm just like, oh, this is bad. You don't. You don't see that. Like as as opposed to watching UWF when I was grasping at straws for something nice to say. 
Um, you didn't see that here. It was I'm just seeing good stuff a lot, and so I was actually really pleased to be seeing good stuff a lot. Yeah, and then so we get a Jerry Lynn promo between um, this and the main event. Not very good, but Jerry Lynn wasn't a great talker. So then we get our final, which is Lightning Kid versus Jerry Lynn. They start off um, very... One one thing to throw in before we start this that kind of surprised me is, I think it was in the last match, Lightning Kid's finish surprised me. Because they admitted he's like, what, 201 pounds here? 202, yeah. something like that. Why is he throwing a tombstone pile driver? Because at the time in New Japan and stuff, oh. this was based off of the tombstone was more of a junior move at the time. Okay, okay, fair enough. Because if you if you go and watch like nineties New Japan or like War or or like FMW. Um, the ju- the juniors used the tombstone a lot. Like uh, Ultimo Dragon used it a lot. Okay. So it's a junior move that got kind of co-opted into a bigger man move. Well, so it's not... like Gorilla Monsoon used to use it as his finish. So I did not know that. Yeah, he he would he would use the airplane spin as a spot, but his finish was a tombstone pile driver. So. Um, like I, I'll agree with you up to a point, but I don't. I don't think it's fair to say it was. It was co-opted into being a big man move. Okay, that's fair. So our final starts. It's pretty much they go very ground-based and technical for a while. Um, then they kind of slowly start getting bigger with the moves. And the thing that upsets me about this is. There's a point where Lightning Kid gets Jerry Lynn down on, like, the set. And he dives off the top rope, like, through the ringside area over onto this, like, stage thing. Yeah. And you don't get the full impact of it because the camera guy wasn't ready for it. So you missed, like, the move. Yeah. That really upset me. Matt, I've been talking a lot. I'm going to shut up for a minute. Uh, no, I, I agree with Brad. Like I didn't I didn't like that. Um I forgot I remember Lightning Kid. Um because when he did fi- finally show up in the WWF at the time, I was like, Oh my god, I know that guy. So it was uh it was fun kind of going back and reminiscing about his, his time in Global. I didn't watch it, but I found a just digging around um, last night I found a Lightning Kid versus Sabu match from 1993. Interesting. Yeah. One of the reasons why I liked Lightning Kid was because it, it by today's standards, it's like absolutely tame. But he would bust out like martial arts stuff and do like some high flying stuff. And by high flying, I only mean like he would do like a leg lariat. But in like the early 90s, like that was kind of innovative yeah. almost. Up until we saw, uh, up until we saw him do the tombstone at the end of that one match, I thought that spinning wheel kick was his finish. Uh, and yeah. don't get me wrong, he does a good one. I've just never liked that as a finish. So, you know, that's that's. But then you know he busts out. It was called the lightning strike. 
And I'm like, okay, all right, we got a classic name going here. I like it. Um, but that's that's what I, I that was like his his signature spot through this whole thing. And the other thing, I think I messaged Brad about it is I, I sent Brad a message to confirm. I was like, did they like record all of these in one day? Which he, you know, you mentioned earlier about the they were doing double shots and that sort of stuff because. That means that kids' cardio was insane. He well, never looked out of breath. You have to remember, this is Texas in July in the Sportatorium. Yeah. Which means the locker room has air conditioning at this point. The, the arena part does not. Right. And the lock, didn't the locker room air conditioning maybe only kind of work when it felt like it? No, they had they had put the air conditioning in when the GWF came in. Oh, okay. That was part of the renovation they did. That's good renovation. <laughs> so they kind of do. They kind of go through their high spots. Uh, Lightning Kid comes off the top rope with like a you know like the spinning heel kick, kind of catches Lynn and the referee. He pulls something out of his trunks, clocks Lynn. And pins him to win the belt. Yeah. Now, what I love about this, because Shad was a little iffy on the on the finish, which I kind of agreed, but then they do the after promo, which is great because uh, Scott Hudson and Craig Johnson call him out on it. And he's like, he's like, no man, like I I was just you know adjusting my tights because you know I was trying to make weight for this tournament. You know my diet was really strict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my my pants don't fit right. It's like. It's like, bitch, you weigh like 150 pounds. <laughs> no, it was great heel work. It really was. His his promo was enlightening because, I mean, it's again, I was watching all this stuff as a kid, and when I'm a kid, like, I didn't really care that much about the promos. So I, I'm 100% guarantee you, like, back in the day, I didn't pay attention to it or I didn't care about it. But as an adult, like, where I appreciate that stuff, his promo was actually really good. I mean, it was... It, it wasn't long. It was only like a couple minutes, but it really got his character over. It made you like not like him as just this little asshole heel. It was <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, it was a great promo for, uh, especially for what what he needed to be. Mm-hmm. Like you, we we don't want you to be liked. We want people hating your guts. That's kind of the point. And he did a great job with it. Well, I liked how he played up his. He 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 dug his accent in extra thick to like give himself that like aw shucks like mm-hmm. vibe to it to make himself even more like hateable. <laughs> well, it was so disingenuous because he, he'd be like aw shucks I weren't doing nothing that wasn't and it's like you look mm, you little prick and now you're trying to hide it. Um. Just just to, to go back to it with what Brad said, the reason I didn't like the finish was it was based on the timing because I, I don't remember what Kid put Lynn down with. He put him down with something, and then he went for the pin because the, there was a ref bump off of it. He went for the pin, counted it himself because he had plenty of time to, to get the pin, and then... He did the foreign object thing, and I was just—I I was not happy about that because it was like there's there's no reason to. It it, it doesn't serve like it, it didn't serve a 
it just seemed unnecessary, and I don't I don't like overusing gimmicks when it's unnecessary. Yeah, but I think sometimes though, sometimes, especially in this situation, sometimes you do need the heel to needlessly cheat just to just to show what a douche they are. Yeah, and and you're right. You you've got to do some stuff to make sure people hate his guts, but. I, I was thinking there could have been another way or something that would have been better executed or something like that. It's it's hard for me to put a finger on it, but uh, and it, I liked it. I liked it in this sense because it was such a hard fought match and he worked so hard at it. But then the first like chance he got, he took a shortcut. Like the first time, like the ref's back was Matt was was there. Like it made him just such a little prick. Oh yeah, and it, it he. Especially in that post-match promo you guys talked about, he played it perfectly. But it, this is—it's—it's it's just a nitpick for me. And I know that sometimes I'm a little more nitpicky or forgiving than other folks are, and that's—that's that's just me. But I just would have liked to have seen it executed a little differently. My my only regret is I wish it was Lance Russell interviewing him for like when he did the whole like <laughs> I lost weight for the tournament. <laughs> Because Lance would have had that like tired eye roll, eye roll, tired, indignant thing going on. Yes, it would have been, been great. He would have been like, "Now come on, yeah, that's." So I actually thought this was—I thought this first episode was just a great hour of wrestling. Like I probably would have put this up against anything WWE or WCW put out that year, and probably say it went toe to toe with any of those shows. I would say. Jerry Lynn and Lightning Kid is probably was probably one of the best televised matches of ninety one. Um, it probably was. I, I it, it was. You said it was. It was a really good block of wrestling to watch. It was. It was fun. It was well executed. It was everything UWF wanted to be but couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what I said to you guys watching this stuff. It's like the anti-UWF. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. I th- yeah, I think that I think you did send that to us. Um, so I, I, I liked that a lot. It's, you know, it's, it's a good block to watch. I, I got into um, the other show that we watched a little more than this one. But I think that might just be personal preference. The second show is a clip show, but the other the other show really gives you like a flavor of what these early shows were like. Well, it it might be a clip show, but what they did is like instead of the tournament just showing like the last five minutes of the match in order to be like, oh, here's what happened on this one. You you I guess they're clipping stuff, but you're seeing like whole matches. Cool yeah, yeah, and and that was. I enjoyed, for the most part, what they picked out. I, I don't agree with what they... I think they, they mixed up what should have been in the last slot and the next-to-last slot, but... Eh. Uh, UWF's... I mean, sorry. GWF's a little weird when they get to that last ten minutes. Like, you always get that weird. They come back with that, like, 90-second promo to, for their out, and, like, they... they always their, their time management towards the end is always a little weird. Well, no, not that. The um, having Lightning Kid last instead of 
Well, I, I can I can tell you what it is, but I I, I guess it wouldn't be spoiling it. Oh, surprise. I mean Chaz last instead of the Patriot. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. I was kind of like, why are you doing that? Yeah, I would agree with that, but we'll get that to that next week. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's let's just. I know we, we we all said we liked it, but so I would give this an easy thumbs up, easy hour to sit through, entertaining matches, uh, fun little promotion. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. It's easily gonna get a thumbs up for me. Like, I have a lot of nostalgia for it, but it is the the beauty of GWF. Even though it didn't last, it only lasted like maybe like three years or so. Is that it was like a fun promotion. It it was easy to watch. That's, that's probably like the best way to put it. It's not. There's no. I guess there there were a few like kind of long lasting storylines, but they weren't overly complicated. But it was just fun. Like you had you had guys which you at the end of the day you recognize either from stuff before or stuff afterwards. And it was just a fun promotion, so it's easy thumbs up for me too. Plus this uh plus the the light heavyweight uh, tournament final was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. The uh, I'm going to say this, and I don't want anyone to take it as a derogatory statement. Um, this struck me as it like well-produced with, with good names, but like as a, a big quality indie kind of thing where you have guys they know are capable they know what they're doing, and you put them out there, and you let them do your thing, and you don't try and bog it down by getting too complicated on stuff. Um, you know, you go to some indie shows, and they're trying to, you know, write the next great American epic or something. And it's like, look, you got some guys here that you know barely know a wristwatch from a wrist lock. Let's let's just try and have some decent matches out of it. Now these, they knew what they were doing. They did it very well. It was very enjoyable, and it wasn't overly complicated. There wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, and like you said, that makes it easy to watch. I, you had me, when you were talking about the next great epic, you had me thinking about Mr. Burns and the room full of monkeys and typewriters. <laughs> and like, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You stupid monkey! <laughs> There's just been – I remember there was a show I was on, and I'm not trying to war story this. I'm sorry. But there were some guys who were so dead set that they were going to have like this great five-star match and go out there and bring the house down. And they were like the third match on the card. And I'm just sitting there – and I didn't say anything because if they're – you know, if they're going to set the – set the world on fire more power to them but more likely they're gonna you know lay an egg in the middle of the ring and they'll learn but i was just kind of sitting there being like guys you are not good enough for that yet don't don't go thinking that you're gonna be you know hot shit right now you because you you ain't even warm shit right now so is this like the equivalent of like Thinking they are gonna, they thinking they just gave this great speech and their fly was down the whole time. Uh, that would be dignified in comparison. Ah, uh, okay. But um, yeah, this was this was, I, I, I'm taking a very roundabout way of agreeing. This was good. This was fun to watch. So 
so, so thumbs up. We, yep. Okay. So next week we are coming back with um, a clip show from September sixteenth, nineteen ninety one. Mhm. And we will get. Uh, we'll we'll have some appearances from quite a few names. So. Mhm. Join us next week for yep. the second part of our GWF look. Part two of the GWF. Do you agree with us? Um, have you seen it and you go, wow, this was really good? Or, you know, are there questions you've got or anything? Please hit us on our social media. We'd love to hear from you. But for now, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth. And we will see you next time.